Hello and welcome to episode 25. My name is Ross. And I'm Craig. It's time to put the kettle on because it's tea time. Right, Craig, what's in the news today? Ah, yes, I have a fair bit of news, actually. Seems that... Um... I'll do it in segments like I did last time of EVs, AI, etc. I think that was quite nice. So I'll start with a, yeah, it's a new thing. I'll start with um, a different piece of news though. And this is all about IPFS. Have you ever heard of this? IP for, no, I don't know. <laughs> Good guess. Uh, it's a replacement of HTTP. So IPFS is Interplanetary File System. Super cool name. <laughs> okay. And the entire point is think of, so you know how BitTorrent works, where it's a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer system and they're trying to make the internet the same way. So every device, every browser has a small chunk of a website or some data and you connect to those nodes in order to retrieve the website. So as you can imagine, this... Um, spreads the cost of infrastructure to all devices. Uh, it makes everything quicker because it's closer to you. And yeah, it doesn't use as much data because you haven't got to you know, go get a website from the US, you get from your neighbors or people around you. It's quite an ingenious system, but the biggest thing it tries to solve is top-down censorship. So hello, China. <laughs> Basically these are trying to stop you guys. <laughs> We don't want people censoring, so China could ban a website or any country for that matter. And right. should people around you have it available, exactly like the BitTorrent network, um, it can still be retrieved. So that's quite exciting. And yeah, IPFS is a way to save the internet effectively from being so centralized. And the very first browser to use it is a browser called Brave. So I use Brave. Um, it's my uh, go-to browser. It's based on Chromium. So it's basically Google Chrome without the Google part. And they also have their own cryptocurrency, which is pretty cool. But yeah, let's not talk about Brave too much. It's a really cool browser. Check it out. Um, next piece of news. There's a new AI. Oh, blow me away already. I mean, I feel like you just, so you just announced a whole new internet and I'm like, <laughs> uh, I'm already trying to work out like, what's the negative impacts of this is like, okay, so it sounds like great. It's democratizing or whatever. I feel yeah. like there's going to be a negative side to like, you know, what is this now make it so that I can, we can have even more fake news or whatever. Cause it's, no one knows who anyone is. I mean, you know, what's, what's happening there? Yeah. Good question. So the negatives would of course be, um, let's think of sites you don't want on the world, like, for example, you know, dodgy sites, certain porn sites, for example, those you're not getting rid of so easily now. You can't block those. You can't ban them. Should they exist around you? They exist permanently, effectively. Sort of like, um, like copyright claims against torrents, which exist in the BitTorrent network. Yeah, it doesn't really matter what you do. They stay in there. The more you try, the more likely it will spread. So okay. that's the negative that 
maybe certain undesirable things will continue to exist. It's like it's like Bitcoin is for money, Brave is for browsers. Initially, it allows every all the criminals to go and do whatever they like, and then later on, it gets adopted by genuine good people. You could say that. I wouldn't say that's what Brave does, but that's what IPFS is allowing. And Brave is the first browser to allow you to use that uh, protocol. Okay. So right now, that infrastructure is quite low, but uh, yeah, I mean, the interplanetary file system, it's going to catch it's you. Great. It's going to take off. <laughs> take off. <laughs> anyway, sorry, next one. Um, yeah, so the next one is uh, just another piece of random news as well. Uh, new AI system which counts endangered elephants from space. So this solves a scientific issue of monitoring endangered wildlife. So right now it's just elephants because I assume they're the easiest to spot from space. And this AI does all the counting, so you haven't got to have human observers in that sort of in habitat being a distraction to the wildlife. I mean, and that seems obvious. Of course you should do that. Yeah. Yeah. I assume like counting like, you know, snow leopards in like, I don't know, the Andes is going to be a bit of a different challenge, but you know, AI, AI can do it. I also thought there's a nice bit of AI news. Yeah, like it. Um, do you remember we discussed um, quite a while ago now, we discussed Brexit. And we talked about the UK ARPA. Mm. So the UK's version of DARPA. Um, and it was the brainchild of, do you remember? No. It's the guy who uh, went to check his eyesight at uh, Barnstall Castle. Don't know. <laughs> Dominic Cummins. Oh, him. So I'm not sure if you remember the news, but Dominic Cummins has since left. Uh, his role as an advisor, he's gone. Um, but the UK has still confirmed we are going to go ahead and create the £800 million uh, Blue Skies Research Agency as soon as possible. So we are still going to have our own version of DARPA. Right. Even though the architect of the scheme is gone. So that's a nice bit of reassuring news, perhaps, that we're going to get some cool tech doing some stuff. And okay. another random one, you may have seen this. Elon Musk says he's going to give $100 million to whoever creates the best carbon capture technology. Yes, and everyone replied with a tree? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So, um, well, I don't know. He's feeling philanthropic, I suppose, whatever the word is. <laughs> I butchered that. I don't think that's it. Well, I mean, I mean it is it, but... He's always feeling that, but um, uh, it, I think it's, isn't it to do with the fact that he has bought a methane facility? Ah, okay, so he's trying to cover himself a little bit. So that's what I've heard. So, um, obviously, the SpaceX rockets use methane, um, and I think he they ship the, ship the methane in from somewhere, I don't know where it comes from, but they, they have to actually get it transported into SpaceX. Um, and there is a methane battery down the road. I've all kind of heard this via, not like proper, by proper channel, so I, I could be completely wrong about this, but um, I've heard that basically they 
found a methane place like within a few miles of SpaceX, decided to buy it because actually cheaper, a bit more cost effective to do that. But obviously people have gone, what? Elon Musk buying a gas factory? This can't be right. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of upset people. So I think he's sort of doing that as a sort of like, well, I'm doing it for this reason to try and make it more efficient. But if if someone out there's got a really generally good carbon capture idea, as opposed to what I was talking about last week, where hydrogen companies kind of claim to be doing carbon capture, mm. it suits them. If someone can actually come up with a better one, then he would be interested to use that at the methane factory. Conjecture. No, that sounds like a perfectly good idea. Um, I mean, has he had any honest people come forward yet? Uh, according to the article I've linked, not yet. Uh, I don't know of any yet, no. I mean, 100 million is quite a wad of cash. So be interesting to see what mm. comes up, considering we also talked about the uh, Earthshot projects and they get in comparison like a million quid. So this is like 100 times that. So yeah. that's quite cool. Um, and now on to my EV section, your favorite part of the news, I understand. Um, so Hyundai, what are they yes. doing? So they have um, an ultra fast new EV charge station. And the way they've done this, they are retrofitting old petrol stations. <laughs> Genius <laughs> idea. <laughs> so this is only a concept right now, but they give a glimpse into how, um, future petrol stations will look once converted to EVs and Hyundai are looking to take the charge in that. And it's all about just a big collection of ultra fast chargers. These puns are not um, not written down or on purpose, by the way. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to run the floors. Um, other than that, so the whole idea of charging networks, that does seem to be a big thing right now. So that does, I would assume, leave one of the biggest problems that get to a charger is something that you must have a small panic about sometimes. So Shell, Shell have also bought the UK's largest vehicle charging network. Yeah, I'm not interested in that. Go on. Um, so Ubitricity or Ubitricity. Who are they? Yeah, well. Do you use them? No. Okay, Shell owns them. They're the biggest ones. And Another piece of news, it's happening. The world's biggest diesel factory has pivoted to electric motors. Nah. <laughs> so it's that Peugeot Citroën's main factory in France. They make roughly 180,000 units right now, engines. And by 2025, they aim to produce 900,000 electric motors, which will make them uh, produce more electric motors than they do combustion engines. So must be outstripping it. And they are pivoting well, it seems. It's quite a short window to do it. Hmm. From what I understood, not an easy, not a, even a sensible thing to pivot within, as in like the, there's not much, other than the building itself, there isn't much else. Um, crossover. Oh, okay. Come on. But yeah, they are still they are still building petrol and diesel motors um, engines, but they're also going to build the EV motors alongside until they eventually take over. So I kind of assume it's in the same place, but brand new stuff. Yeah. All right. Mm. Good luck. 
Yeah, well, either way, well done, Peugeot, Citroën. I didn't know they're the same people, but they are. Um, and the final piece of news is a good one, I think. One that's been long overdue. Google Maps now supports electric vehicles natively. Oh, good. So you can map to a location and it can recommend you stopping along the route to EV chargers. Yay. I don't know why it took them so long, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you'd expect to be there all along. But now, now it has some super awesome algorithms that it's figured out and it can, what it's calling stress-free routes which takes you past charging stations and will recommend charging stops. You can put your car in or your estimated mileage, and it can even help you plot your course based on that. I think stress-free driving largely depends on your car. I would assume so, yes. I don't think Google can help me. Well, I mean, you rely on ZapMap, don't you? So, Yeah, that, but it's not... The it's not the app that's the problem. It's the um, it's the distance that one has to drive to get to a charger and how far away it is from the the, the destination that you were trying to get to. I can I can find one, but it's thirty miles in the wrong direction. So you know, maybe not. Uh, well, maybe ten. But... Yeah, but now now Shell's got your back. They they bought up all these charging stations. They're going to build some more. Or in Shell, I think that's probably just a low, just a desperate attempt to stay relevant. To be honest. <laughs> I should do my research first, but it's Shell. I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, that's, that's basically what they're doing. But um, one thing that's interesting as well is that Google Maps is built into uh, Polestar and the Volvo XC40. It doesn't say it's built into Teslas. It's not, no. Why? What's happening there? What, what does Tesla use for mapping? Oh, it's Tesla. It'll be, it'll be their own thing. I mean, why would they invent a, a mapping service? Probably. I, I don't know. I'll try and... I don't know. Knowing Tesla, it usually is their own stuff because they, they just build their own things for everything. I mean, there's, there's open maps. Uh, maybe they're using open maps. They're using open source, perhaps. Maybe. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's natively in Polestar and Volvo and... Either way, that's a really cool addition. Yeah. So I think that's the because, would go well. That's because Volvo can't make their own software. They don't have a software team or whatever. So they, they farm it out to basically, oh, I'll just use Android because then make it out like it's a compatibility uh, wish list. And in fact, it's just because they can't bother to develop their own stuff. Well, I don't get scared. Yeah. That makes sense. Potentially. Either way, uh, all good news for EVs. Uh, that's all I have. What, what have you got this week? Okay, then. Um, well, given last week's episode, I found this little article and made me smile. So um, there's been a, a big blow to cl the clean hydrogen sector as major, and when I say clean, you know, I mean clean, um, because uh, a major truck maker has ruled out using H2 hydrogen for distance, long distance transport. So Volkswagen owned Scania, I don't know how you impress this, Scania, Scania, Scania. Um, they have said that fuel trucks will be too inefficient and expensive compared to battery powered vehicles. Uh, the exact quote was, 
uh, Scanny has invested in hydrogen technologies and is currently the only heavy duty vehicle manufacturer with vehicles in operations with customers. However, going forward, use of hydrogen for such applications will be limited since three times as much renewable electricity is needed to power a hydrogen truck compared to a battery electric truck. Important uh, A great deal of energy is namely lost in the production, distribution, and conversion back to electricity, is what we were talking about last week. Yes. Uh, repair and maintenance also needs to be considered. The cost for a hydrogen vehicle will be higher than for a battery electric vehicle as its systems are more complex, such as an extensive air and cooling system. Furthermore, hydrogen is a volatile gas which requires more maintenance to ensure safety. Also what we talked about last week. Um, and that's it. Less than we're talking about themselves. So, yeah, basically it's good to see that one of the biggest um, truck manufacturers has sort of outwardly said hydrogen, not a brilliant idea. And if you, I think the, the key part for me is if you look at the um, the improvements uh, in battery density and the cost of batteries over the past decade, prices going down so quickly that um, hydrogen, I just don't, even though it might get to a point where it's comparing in the next few years, I think the batteries will just go way past it shortly thereafter. So it's like it's it arrived too late. Don't think it's going to work. Too early, I think, as we discussed last week. Yeah. Not for not for this anyway. So obviously, you might have used it somewhere else, but not for serving in trucks. Stupid idea. Moving on. Um, in other news, the government, the UK government, that is, because it is the UK channel, um, has delayed the environment bill again. Mm. Uh, time they're blaming covid Basically, because of covid they wouldn't have, there won't be enough time to debate it apparently um so rebecca powell who is the minister at the department of energy or environment sorry food and rural affairs said we remain fully committed to the environment bill carrying over the bill to the next session does not diminish our ambition for environment in any way and whilst she may mean that and be speaking the truth. Unfortunately, the result of the delay does mean that any new legislation designed to fix any problems or will make things better uh, probably will, will now not get passed before the autumn. Mm. Which is a bit of a blow for environmentalists for the first eight months of the year. That's yeah, the thing, thing to mention there, that's not the first time, that's the third time it's been delayed. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, mm. not good. Um, and I was looking at the numbers today because uh, this is you know it's UK related, but it's not to do with energy necessarily. But it's um, um, the old COVID, as we just mentioned it. I, I had a look at the numbers as I regularly do, and I noticed there's been lot well, been a few articles in the news today about how it's dropping off sharply. There's something like a thirty-five percent drop in cases. We heard this. Uh, I, I've heard that cases are going down. I didn't realize they were that significant. But I've, um, if you look at that little chart I put up for you, if you can mm. see that. Um, so that's the cases, and it's like you can see it's severely taking a nosedive. Um, so but I thought I'd, I'd just, just to see kind of like how this relates to deaths, um, cases started to increase sharply, increase sharply, Back on the 5th of December. 
Um, and then about three weeks later, the death toll also started to do the same thing. So on that rough basic theory, three weeks is, is the gap roughly between the cases going up and the death going up. So the cases have been going down ever since the 8th of January, which is now two weeks ago. So maybe, just maybe, by next week's episode, we may start to see the death rates actually starting to go down. And if they go down anywhere near as quickly as the cases, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? It would be fantastic. I would assume this matches the vaccination um, upward trend because like what, 100,000 people or something silly like that getting vaccinated in a week? Some mad numbers. I'm sure it does. But I mean, if you, if it, logically speaking, given that the majority of cases and the majority of people who get hospitalized and the majority of people who die are the same people who are getting vaccinated, then you should hope to see that that drop-off go off quite significantly. Yes, most definitely. However, did you watch Boris's um, update this evening? Is that the one where we're not going back? The schools are still closed until March the 8th, I think. Yes. Hmm. So I, I, would, I, would have, I would have hoped for some better news there, to be honest. But yeah, Wales hasn't said something similar yet. That's just an English thing. But I, we assume Wales will say the same thing, basically. Yeah, well, it's probably going to be the situation where they've been optimistic, 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 and then, you know, super cautious. It'd be logical that they, yeah, suddenly get super cautious of when we actually finally have some good news. And then when people are going, well, why can't we go back? What's the matter with you? Stop worrying about it so much. <laughs> you know, it's like. Um, and final news um, from a similar technology that brought us CRISPR, a method for altering RNA. So this one's not as intrusive because it, it doesn't change your genome. It just changes your proteins. And that could be used to temporarily um, make changes to your proteins for treating conditions such as chronic pain. Ooh. So it's a whole new sort of area of potential medicines that address the body issues as a, as a temporary fix for a short period of time. That, that, sounds, that sounds like a way around the whole um, legality issue too, because I mean, the biggest problem of gen genomics in general is that it's just not um, ethically allowed in certain places and legally you can't do certain things. However, RNA does sound maybe the solution to that, which sounds quite interesting. Possibly. And I thought it might make a nice, interesting segue to your topic. Yes. Well, thank you for that. Um, based on, yeah, we've, we've been thinking about this a lot, about genomics, and uh, especially recently, so much so, we've both invested a fair amount of money into genomics-based companies, and we think they're going to do well in the near future. So, I mean, investing is your thing, so can you just reel off a couple off the top of mind? Uh, I can. Um, so um, what we've been looking at is um, ARK, um, ARK Invest. They have a fund um, and there's a whole bunch of 50 owned companies in there. Um, so we just sort of took the top six, uh, the biggest ones, uh, which I can tell you what they are. Um, so companies like Arcturus Therapeutics, uh, they're trying to cure stuff like cystic fibrosis and hepatitis B. Um, there's the, the probably the most popular one known, uh, CRISPR therapeutics, uh, gene editing for medicines and serious disease. Uh, 
Um, Invitae, uh, they are more of a processing of DNA. So they look through samples and try and find uh, uh, indicators for hereditary diseases. Um, another big one is specific biosciences. Uh, they do real-time genetic analysis and sequencing. Um, Teladoc, which is like kind of like call your doctor sort of idea. It's like it's, it's prov providing virtual healthcare services. Uh, and another one which is up there is Twist Bioscience Corporation. Uh, they do synthetic biology, so kind of sort of software type <clears throat> industrialize the engineering of biology. Uh, and then if you're interested, there's a couple of short-term potential kind of hot stocks right now. Uh, first one would be Sarepta Therapeutics, only because they had a recent, um, I forget what the catalyst was, but something, some reason where they basically dropped down quite a lot. So that one's a potential one for a quick short-term gain. Um, and the other one is the one by Chamath, uh, how do I pronounce the name? Palahapatir or something, uh, probably killed that one. Um, uh, he has a um, company which is a bit like the other one, uh, virtual healthcare systems trying to uh, uh, do a more personalized healthcare basically. And that one's called Clover Health Investments. Uh, that isn't um, advice, but those are the ones that I'm currently uh, Ah, Fantastic. And then, Tim, we want to talk about more about investing and we got a nice little segue to chat about it. Maybe we can do that more often. Yeah. Um, either way, as we know, there are so many more genomics companies. There seems to be a um, a trend that companies are developing new and interesting ways to play with things. As you mentioned, CRISPR is the big boy. That's been there for a little while. It's the one that probably all the media talk about. Um, and we do need to do a chat on CRISPR or gene editing at some point. I think that'd be a very interesting subject. But today, I wanted to chat about something we can all aspire to do without any fancy genomics or gene editing. And that's live longer. So how about you, Ross? Uh, do you want to live longer than average? Is that something you've ever thought about? Say, I don't know, 100? Um, well, uh, I'm 40 now. Um, so uh, it's something I'm more aware of. I'm aware that things don't, I don't function quite as I used to. Um, and it's sort of now, I'm now aware that if I live to an 80 sort of age, then I'd basically get to live my life again. So, which is kind of cool, but it's also a bit scary at the same time. So yeah, I mean, at this point, I feel like 100 would be at least nice to get that far, because I'm not sure I've done what I wanted to do yet. 60 more yeah. years might Okay, so how about 180? That changed the ball game? I mean, I haven't really dared to think about that, to be honest, as a possibility, but um, I mean, but the thing is, once you start thinking down that length, 180, like anything beyond what is considered, then at that point, you just start thinking, well, why stop there? Why not just be immortal? Yeah, I suppose immortality has its own troubles of who, you know, who wants to live forever. But um, being 180 certainly has, has advantages and disadvantages. Um, there is at least one man attempting to do this and live to 180. 
and that's a guy called Dave Asprey. So he's currently 47, so seven years older than yourself, and he has somewhat of a long road to go. Mm -hmm. So same, same as you could too. So hopefully at the end of this, there might be some things that you could change perhaps, or maybe the things you're already doing that kind of gets you closer to that level of living longer. And that's kind of what I want to chat about today. So he's interested in only one thing, and that's living longer, but also living better. He doesn't want to be a 180-year-old, you know, stuck in a wheelchair with really frail ankles or something. He wants to be living his life. He wants a full head of hair, his own teeth, everything, and still make it 180. That's his uh, ambition. And he's, he's known as the daddy of biohacking. He's been doing this for some time. So there's plenty of bits and pieces he recommends, normally with a hefty warning that these things are not medically certified. They haven't had um, any sort of appraisal from medical associations. So obviously, if you look him up, uh, read his recommendations with hefty warnings. But the things I want to focus on are the things that I have tried or I am willing to try. So that rules out injecting stem cells from bone marrow in my thigh into my penis, which he has done and oh. does every six months. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can't see myself injecting anything into my penis, to be honest, but um, let alone bone marrow. Yeah. Um, it's actually quite good on his part because he did marry a doctor, so she can help. But she also has bone marrow injected into a vulva, I think. So, yeah, each to their own, if that's what you fancy. That's seemingly possible. He did mention that it's not possible in the continental US, so you have to leave your country, but, you know, pros and cons. <laughs> can we do it? I don't think we can do it in the UK either, no. no. We, have, we have similar gen uh, genetic um, issues. It's, it's mainly to do with stem cells. And right. these, because once you take a stem cell out of your body, it's classed as a, a drug and it'll be an untested drug, even though it's your stem cell. So there's different legalities involved there. Okay. But we won't get into them too much because that's not something I would ever actually do. If I only get 120, not 180, because I didn't inject stem cells, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give a bit of a TLDR. Um, on average, you have 23% risk of dying from heart disease, 25% uh, of dying with diabetes, 10% of developing Alzheimer's, um, a 40% risk of getting cancer, uh, followed by a 20% risk of dying from it. Right. So right. pretty grim given the averages and the TLDR is to live longer. All you need to do is stop damaging your own body and focus on the basics. Good nutrition, quality sleep, and a healthy environment free of stress. Hmm. So it all sounds pretty straightforward. And mm. I, I'm sure it's something we've all known forever, really. But I suppose it's then the finer details of what constitutes damage in your body. And also what constitutes stress. Because, like, as I'm sure you're going to 
get onto the fasting part part of that is stress deliberate stress it is but it's a different type of stress yeah so the stress um it refers to the stress environment will be more um mental stresses stuff that your body uh purposely produces cortisol to fight so with fasting you don't necessarily produce cortisol because your body doesn't think you're actually going to die it produces um different types of they call ketones so your brain can work better to try and find another meal that's kind of how it's thinking it's not thinking i'm going to die it's like you know here's our chance let's go get that deer or whatever so yeah. different however it is it is purposeful, purposeful stress okay so if you're sticking with the video now we are going to go to a deeper understanding this is a forewarning if anyone watched my bitcoin uh so dave has seven pillars of aging and the way these kind of bake out are the first one is shrinking tissues so basically as you age your stem cell reserves dwindle um you're born with a set number and they don't really regenerate as fast as we would like so your stem cells themselves age they're roughly the same age as you and they thus become less efficient as time goes on um some cells die before they're supposed to and others are quickly replaced as a result tissue throughout your body loses more and more cells just down to general atrophy for the longer you live so the worse the condition of your cells so the biggest game changer here is to eat food that boosts the efficiency of your mitochondria so they're the cells you want to make stronger and they can make more energy and your body has the raw goods it needs to manufacture all the proteins it needs so you're talking about protein editing yeah maybe we could edit uh rna to allow different types of proteins that may be more common in our diets those type of things could be quite useful so number two in the pillars of aging is mitochondrial mutations so these are otherwise known as damaged mutations or damaged mitochondria rather uh, and think of the mitochondria as the power plants in your cells. These are the very things that create the energy and they keep you alive. So once they start mutating, as you can imagine, that doesn't sound like a good thing. They start breaking down. So probably the easiest way to think of it is that your DNA itself is kind of like a building. Your DNA provides the blueprint. So it says how many rooms you've got, how many windows you've got, and how, what kind of roof is it, how tall, etc. And your mitochondrial DNA describes what kind of wiring, heating, uh, lighting, air conditioning, all that type of stuff the building will have. So the building itself is going to be there for a while, but over time, you know, the wiring gets bad, the air conditioner breaks, bulbs need replacing, all those different types of things so you can see how your mitochondria over time breaks mutates and just needs a bit more raw nutrients to help it get better okay yeah so all you want to do there is ideally yeah eat the right things which will come on to a little bit better uh, for nutrition but the key part of mitochondria is the earlier you reverse it the better so you can have mitochondrial injections later on in life, which Dave does talk about. But again, I'm not interested in injecting, injecting myself with anything. Um, so he recommends the younger you are, 
just work on it, get those nutrients in now, and you have that compounding interest of mitochondrial nutrition that can outlast your age. So you don't want to be brittle when you're older, do it now. Uh, number three, zombie cells. So these are basically death resistant cells. They're otherwise known as senescent cells um, and they just won't die. So they've worn out, they have no use and they just float around just being dead. So there's a certain um, vitamin mineral called um, fistesin, which is a pollen polyphenol found in seaweed and strawberries. So this is in one study shown in high doses, it can kill up to 50% of your zombie cells, which is frankly amazing. I had strawberries because I didn't really fancy eating seaweed. No fancy seaweed. Mm. One of my favorite things on a, on a, when I was a Chinese. Okay. Never <laughs> seaweed ever. Well, maybe you need to have some uh, seaweed wrapped strawberries and get rid of all those dead zombie cells. Uh, number four, cellular straitjackets. So the space between your cells contain a network of proteins called the extracellular, extracellular matrix. And these basically protect your cells uh, from stress, trauma, uh, and gravity, basically, from so the cells can continue doing their job without having to worry about these things. So if you imagine um, a bowl of jelly, that's just kind of wobbling around and think of the matrix as the gelatin that kind of holds it together. Without the gelatin, it's just a red liquid. It's just wherever the bowl is, it's flash around. It's not really doing this thing. So if you now imagine that bowl of jelly, but it's now super hard, like you can't even take a spoon there, you can't get a chunk out, it's just too hard. Yeah. Um, that's basically what happens when there's excess blood sugar. So when that's floating around, that's binding to these um, cells effectively, kind of making them all a bit like goopy, kind of like they have a cooked sugar. What's that? <laughs> that was going to be my second biscuit. Oh, there's not a lot of sugar in there. I'm sure you. I'm sure you'll survive. But you can see how that then messes your jelly up, and you want to keep your jelly, you know, nice, nice and wobbling. You don't want to mess with that stuff. Yeah. So re reducing blood sugar is not optional if you want to sort that out. Number five: extracellular junk. So as you age, waste products called um, extracellular aggregates build up and basically they kind of just line up around your cells and they normally, they normally get cleaned up by your cells, but over time, obviously they keep building up, certain percentage always build up and they kind of like plaque on your teeth, but on your cells, they just keep mm -hmm. building up. Um, and you can see how, yeah, the more plaque you've got, the more problems you have. So these sort of build up on the cells, they block other cells interacting with them. They just, just generally gunk, just kind of build up and don't do anything good at all. Think of like a sink that's clogged with stuff. Over time, yeah. it's just going to get worse. And that happens as you age. Number six, uh, junk buildup inside cells. So you've got the extracellular junk which is outside, now you've got the junk that's inside. 
So nearly all cells in your body have their own way of uh, eliminating waste. They have their own sort of disposal system. Um, however, there are some certain products, materials that can't break down and they kind of just get ejected. And that's kind of where extracellular comes from. Uh, and that builds up, obviously. But um, the more it does, the more it can't function. If it can't break them down, it just keeps spitting them out and it's kind of hurting itself in the process. So the main culprit are fried, blackened, and charred meat. They all contain tons of waste products that just basically overload your cellular waste system. Effectively, they're just full of crap. I've stopped eating charred food for a long time. So. Well, charred food? I've, yeah, I've stopped. I haven't eaten charred meat in ages. Living. Well, I mean, it hasn't been summer in ages, but you look, you like a barbecue. I do like a barbecue, yeah. But as in, I, I've, well, first of all, I don't eat as much meat as I used to. Uh, and secondly, um, I generally avoid anything that's burnt now. Fair enough. But I, I avoid it because it was a carcinogenic. But I just thought about it. I go, well, I'm burning something. I'm burning, and I'm, I'm basically shoving charcoal, as it were, in my mouth. Like, why would I do that? That can't be good for me. So I, I stopped doing that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So yeah, it's, it's not good for you. Um, but I mean, it doesn't have to be meat, anything fried, a fried egg, for example, could also get quite blackened. Or I don't know. What's, what's the vegan things you fry? Just off the top of your head. Um, An anchovies. Halloumi, yeah. Fried halloumi, fried too long, gets a bit blackened, a bit, a bit charred, same problem. So just be careful, really. Just don't eat fried, blackened, or charred anything. Uh, number seven, uh, telomere shortening. Have you heard of telomeres before? Uh, I have, but I can't, can't tell you what they are. <laughs> so telomeres are, if you think of shoes, uh, the laces have like little plastic things at the end. Yeah. So they're there to stop the laces unraveling. Uh, so telomeres are the same, but for DNA. So they basically stop the strands from unraveling and they have um, a certain length. So basically your telomeres serve as a primary focus to determine how old you are because their length determines your age. So the longer they are, the younger and healthier you are. So it's actually pretty accurate. The scientists can tell uh, your biological age, not necessarily chronological age, from your telomere length, which, yeah, can be scary perhaps if um, they think you're, you know, in your sixties and you're not. So, yeah, would be. Looking after them is a good one. So that's the seven stages or seven pillars of aging, according to Dave, and they've all got kind of scary names. Yeah. And well, we all have all of them basically they're all happening right now in all of us you know no, no one's perfect some people are worse than others some people are better than others but we all have them so what should we all be doing more of or do you want to say something first well i just feel like there's the the fundamental problem with all of those things and obviously this is where we're talking about i think genomics is going is that my visibility of those things is virtually non-existent so yeah um see those things if i could see them then i could you know you could um gamify making them better but i can't see them unless i can have a blood test every month or, or every six months or whatever unless i'm going to do that unless that's even a thing you can even do 
then I'm, it's going to be very difficult for me to know whether I'm doing the right thing. I can follow the rules, but I would have no real understanding whether I, I was doing, having any success. No, that's, that's, that's a good point. So there are tools in the market you could get, like for example, glucose testing kits, like what diabetics use. So you could be testing your blood sugar content. Uh, you could do that every time you eat if you want to. They're fairly cheap on Amazon, uh, about 20 quid, I think. So like increased blood sugar is, is probably one of the biggest things to avoid. So that could be a simple tool, but yeah, it's not automated. It's not gamified. You still have to, no. you know, prick your finger every whenever. Yeah. There are like little things, people wearing their arms, they're kind of new where it stays sort of in your arm, constantly getting a little bit of blood. And that does maintain um, a constant reading. Okay. So we've not got like, anything read your wee in your poo yet. You do the same job? Like smart toilets. Yeah. I know smart toilets exist, but do they do that sort of stuff? Um, don't know. Don't know. I feel like that's the first obvious step for me. Like rather than having things injected into me, mm. some way of measuring what's going on without me having to actually do it, having a toilet that can detect it's me uh, and, and analyze a sample would make a lot of sense. Yeah, that'd be I'd, very good. I might buy that toilet. I suppose it wouldn't be a to hold, necessarily a whole toilet. Ideally, you would just put something in the, um, yeah, it'd have to, in the yeah. pipe. It'd have to be something that can uh, connect, yeah. yeah. There's a product to make if anyone out there is clever enough. I mean, all it really needs to be is like one of those like little stick on toilet block things on the side. Just as you go for a pee, just remember to just pee a little bit in that one as well. Get your reading. Have one each. <laughs> like yeah. If it's a couple share a toilet, I always pee on the left. You have to somehow pee on the right woman. I don't know how you're going to manage that, but you've got to. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking it could probably determine who, who's peeing anyway, based on, you know, just doing like that type of analysis. It can tell by the DNA who, who it is. <laughs> Either it's the it's the man of the house or the woman has really let herself go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, your, your last reading is quite uh, quite quite disturbing. Um, I'm sorry, sir, to tell you this, but you seem to be pregnant. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd have to go like Lexa, just going for a wee, all right? And then, uh, <laughs> and then she would know that the next recording was yours. Based yeah. On Hopefully it doesn't get to that point, but yeah, if a toilet, smart toilet company pops up, sounds like a good investment. But before we get to smart toilets, um, one thing we definitely should be doing more of is nutrition. Mm -hmm. So this is probably the first one to mention. And as I've already said most times, reducing blood sugar is probably the best thing you can do. So if all you have is a glucose testing kit, that would be quite useful. Um, but outside of sugar, you also want to consume more antioxidants, such as um, berries, herbs, spices, coffee, and tea. So we're all right on tea. And if you're all watching this with a cup of tea, you're all right too. So we are actually helping you. Yes, yes, we are. We're helping you up your antioxidants. See, so whereas you might think this is an hour waste of your time, it isn't. Because... <laughs> having a cup of tea while you watch this uh it will reduce your stress levels hopefully 
um, and also make you live at least an hour longer, probably. We haven't measured it. Yeah, I mean, this obviously has no studyable effects, but uh, <laughs> either way, you've had a cup of tea. Um, yeah, berries, herbs, spices, coffee, tea, and dark chocolate are good sources of antioxidants. If you can get them all in, go for it. And as I also mentioned, stop eating fried, grilled, charred meat or anything. It doesn't necessarily be meat. Um, these things alone, if you did them, will already give you a better, longer, higher quality life. So what about meat? So there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about whether or not meat is bad for you or not. So the general consensus is that it's not. It's perfectly fine as long as you have reasonable quantities. Um, it, the main thing, if anything, is suggest that most grain is bad for us because grain plants typically produce compounds uh, naturally, which are used to weaken animals who eat them. So I didn't, Why? I didn't realize about this, no. So I think the whole purpose is that they weaken the animals so they go to the toilet nearer and they spread the seeds because that's kind of why they get eaten to spread their seeds into fertilizer and then grow more. I don't know why they would need to weaken the animal. Surely it's going to need to poo anyway. As in, wouldn't they want to go quite far? Why would they want to go? Don't know. Don't know. Worth looking at a bit more, perhaps. But um, the idea there is that you should aim for meat that is grass fed, not grain fed. Um, like, for example, I think we discussed uh, before about toxins in grains and the whole of Monsanto and genetically modifying corn, which then fed the cows. Then the cows need antibiotics in order to fight the infections. And then we eat those cows. Yeah, so it sounds like a bad day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's never good when you taste like penicillin. Um, <laughs> yeah. Grass-fed meats, that's that's the badger. That's the one you want. Um, but otherwise... You suggest you eat badgers now? What? Well, we kill them every year. I mean, maybe eating them is better. But yeah, we, we, eat, we eat too much meat in general. So it's perfectly fine to eat meat, just don't eat too much. And ideally, don't eat low-quality meat. And yeah, that's it for meat, really. Don't eat low-quality. Don't eat too much. Uh, supplements. So you can't go wrong with increasing vitamin C. So that's kind of the, the biggest one there. Uh, that gives you a bunch of skin benefits because it increases your collagen and just generally helps your system to work better. Uh, vitamin D as well, sunlight, that's always good. Obviously not too much, not too little. Uh, that's kind of true of everything, really. Most, most of that is just, you can do these things, just not too much. <clears throat> and the other one, how about not eating at all? So, yes, fasting. Forever. Well, yeah, if you did it forever, I mean, I'm not sure how long you'd last, but uh, generally fasting is an incredibly powerful force, which we've covered before. We did a nice episode on this a few months back. Um, we talked about intermittent fasting, which is the preferred route, and that's what I use I think you said you use it too. And mm -hmm. uh, there are plenty of studies, as we discussed, that uh, show the calorie restriction, typically a diet existing of uh, 1,200 calories or less, uh, in conjunction with good nutrition, extends 
<coughs> sneeze, can extend uh, lifespan uh, in mice is where most of the studies have taken place. Uh, and with those calorie restrictions, mice live up to 40% longer. So that's quite significant. Um, and research estimates on humans, that'll be more like 10% longer, which is still pretty amazing. So if the average yeah. is 88, you know, now you're talking about like 97, 96, just mm -hmm. by doing a bit of intermittent fasting every now and again. Still not sure how we're getting to 108 though. Yeah. Because I mean, people eating fruits and veg, done. People eating less meat, done. People eat, uh, fasting, done. Um, well, this is just nutrition. There's, there's other topics too. But we're going to start flying through them. So um, short piece of fasting, they stimulate, still can't say the word, autography, autophagy. Autophagy. Autophagy, yeah. Uh, so we discussed it in the independent fasting episode. I still can't say it, so go watch that go a little bit more. But it basically extends the lifespan of cells and gives the body a chance to clear all the gunk out because you're not focusing on digesting. That's all for nutrition. Simple things to follow there, I think. Um, exercise. So exercise is another important way of preventing early telomere shortening. So as we talked about before, that's a good determinant of your biological age. Exercise helps reduce. And uh, researchers in Germany looked at telomere length uh, in four groups of people, those who were young and sedimentary, those who were young and active, those who were middle-aged and sedentary, and those who were middle-aged and active. Uh, there wasn't much different between the two young groups. However, the participants in the middle-aged group, uh, their change in telomere lengths were striking. Oh. The, Sedentary middle-aged folk had telemeters that were 40% shorter than their young people. While the active middle-aged folk had telemeters that were only 10% shorter than young people. In other words, the active group reduced their telemeter shortening by 75%. Exercise significantly reduces um, inflammation and yeah, those are incredibly good results. I think it might be time for another three-piece challenge. Yeah, we need to get on it. Um, so I did an episode before of kettlebell and kettlebell training, and there's a biscuit. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, now it's gonna be 179. So I did an episode on kettlebell training before, and that's what I would recommend. It's an effective exercise routine, quick, efficient. And you only need a kettlebell, and those 20 minutes of high um, fitness strength training is kind of the, the best exercise for this type of telemeter shortening prevention. Last mm -hmm. exercise, nice and simple. Yeah, I'm going to do, and then super, yeah, I'm going to do for like a four hour run or something. Just play it simple, just do it every day. Look after yourself. Uh, sleep. So, mm. sleep is so underappreciated. It's such a big topic and another episode we should do is all about sleep and where'd you begin? I mean, good quality sleep effectively recovers you from stress. Um, anything your body's done that day, it helps you repair the damage. And what it ultimately does is increases your telomere length. So the quality, not the time spent, is the level we want to track here. 
Um, eating late at night dramatically reduces the quality of sleep in rats, uh, but not necessarily the time spent sleeping. So yeah, it's fairly late now, I put that biscuit down. Uh, when it comes to deep sleep, teens need roughly 1.7 to two hours of deep sleep. And people over the age of 18, like us, um, only need 1.5 to 1.8 hours. So do you know how much deep sleep you get? I do not. Cool. Yeah, uh, I would. I would. I assume most people would say the same. Is that you fit bit for that, or is there, how do you do it? You know. Yes. So I was going to say that um, I use Fitbit. Yeah, I record my deep sleep and my other parts of sleep. But in in general, tracking your sleep is a good thing. Uh, there are apps you can use in your phone. If you haven't got to use Fitbit. Uh, that records your breathing and also records snoring, and it kind of guesstimates where you are in the sleep scales, like light, REM, deep, etc. But um, one interesting piece of research which I will cover is people live the longest who typically sleep six and a half hours a night. So this was a cancer society that looked over a million adults the ranges of 30 to 102 and they correlated how much sleep uh, was relevant to their mortality rates. So the results of the study um, changed really how we look about sleep. And that's kind of where that magic six to eight hours came from was these type of studies in the early 80s. And they found that people who slept six and a half hours typically lived the longest. And this is kind of confusing perhaps but it's not necessarily about the length again it's about the quality the people who had six and a half hours sleep were generally healthier people they needed less sleep mm, so they're the ones who who lasted longer yeah yeah i sleep for a quite often sleep for eight hours wake up and go feel tired go back to sleep. yeah and yeah, i try to sleep hours and I usually end up being completely screwed for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd say six and a half is just not enough? Doesn't seem to be enough for me, no. Fair enough. Uh, do you snow? Um, I haven't heard myself snow, but that's probably not quite enough. I have been told I snow, yes. yes. Right. Yeah, unfortunately, that's a sign of uh, inflammation. Uh, generally shows a level of body quality you'd want to look to improve. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it might also determine, you know, for example, if you're not getting as much deep sleep as you'd expect, that could be all related. Um, but yeah, try and track your sleep if you can. So I use a Fitbit, which it, I use yeah. every night. What's that, sorry? Really good app. I haven't used any, so I didn't have any to recommend. But if you search sleep app, uh, there are there's hundreds. Just find ones with good reviews, once you fancy. Um, put it next to your bed and it records your breathing and records snoring, etc. as well, so you know if you snore or not. Uh, but it's your breathing it kind of looks out for. There's other ones that kind of you put it in bed with you and your pillow and stuff and it shows you're moving and it can sort of listen to your heartbeat. But the apps themselves are not as accurate as obviously having a device 
like this one, uh, the Fitbit, has a little pulsing thing under there. So it's actually looking at my blood flow in my veins. So we can determine my heart rate quite accurately. Right. So it knows what level of sleep I am based on my heart rate. It also gives me a really rudimental understanding of how recovered I am after a night's sleep. Uh, but that's a whole nother topic, which we will cover. Okay. So to get a better night's sleep, you want to improve your sleep hygiene. You want to keep the temperature cool. Do you prefer a cool bedroom or a bit of a warm bedroom? Um, I think I sleep quite warm, quite hot myself, so I prefer cooler. Yeah, a nice bit of cool bedroom. You get to sleep a bit quicker. Um, you can have a hot bath before you go to bed as well. That, that kind of helps. Uh, use blackout curtains. Um, develop a nighttime routine so you always go to bed at the same time. You always wind down roughly the same time. Get up roughly the same time. Um, and also reduce your blue light exposure, exposure um, at night any way you can. So dimmer switches, uh, get rid of other like LED bulbs, like a little, if you've got a TV in your room, a little flashing red light, put a bit of black tape on that. This is surprising. Right. Surprising how much that can get you off. But um, in short, stop looking at your phone before you go to bed for a good hour before. That's the number one thing people typically do. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And you should see your quality improve. Um, yeah, but another helpful way to get to sleep faster would be to watch me trying to explain the Byzantine's general problem in the previous cryptocurrencies episode. That is what I have been using recently. Yeah, I used to listen to Headspace, but I've just been that 15 minute segment that I cut out. I've been using that. On the plus side, though, I think I nearly understand it now. Fantastic. Uh, just a couple of weeks, you should be nailed. <laughs> So the final thing we need to look after is our environment. So the recommendations here are spend some more time in nature. And spending time in nature, our natural habitat helps boost our killer cells. So our T cells, the ones that look after the bad stuff and it enhances our immune system. Um, you also get bonus points for frequently visiting forests with lots of evergreen trees. So specifically that smell. So if you don't have forest near you, you can use forest-based essential oils like cypress, which can give you um, sort of that feeling of maybe serenity and calm. But most importantly is get rid of stress from your environment. That's probably the biggest one here. Uh, whether that be other people or clutter or general annoyances, which you find stressful, make your best effort to get rid of them. And that can just do wonders for your mind. Like, do you, do you find your environment's quite cluttered or something stressful? Uh, I have a kid. Mm. It's cluttered and it's stressful and I can't get rid of him. It's frowned upon. Yeah. As you mentioned earlier, schools are closed the 8th of March. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the biggest stress in my life right now. Um, Children, yeah. Yeah, again, can't really get rid of them. I have found that um, having headphones is really helpful uh, mm. because I like, particularly me, I, I like to be very much in control of the of, of the sounds flowing into my head. Um, I'm very sensitive to such things. 
So being able to control that is is immensely helpful. I can go from being very stressed to serene just by going. <laughs> so I found that helps a lot. I that to anyone um, who's struggling. Uh, Bluetooth, hands-free, therefore, um, noise-cancelling headphones are amazing. Fantastic. I mean, it's also quite nice to know that um, your son in particular is quite sensible. He's not a type of son who will climb drawers with knives. Uh, so that must give you a set, certain sense of peace when you put those in, knowing uh, probably not going to kill himself. It does. It, it does help. Yes. I mean, I can still visually watch, so that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, business stress, there seems to be a direct correlation between telomere shortening and stress. In one study, women with higher levels of perceived stress, so perceived stress, stress again is just real stress to the mind, um, they, they found their telemeters were shorter but the equivalent of one full decade than that of women who said they experienced less stress. So a 40-year-old woman could effectively be in her 50s telemeter mm. lengthwise, just based on stress alone, which is absolutely ridiculous. So if you want to manage stress, you can meditate, which would be my recommended approach. Uh, practice yoga, get some good quality sleep, as we discussed, and or delicate tasks that are draining you. And this tip alone could literally save your life. Got it. Yoga, get rid of kids. Top tip of the day. Yeah, that's all that's all to it. <laughs> um, yeah, this is, there's so many areas of focus that Dave explores in his books, blogs, etc. Um, he talks about stem cell treatments, as I mentioned, you know, injecting things into his penis from his leg. Um, ozone treatments, which I've never heard about, but it's actually very interesting. It's kind what of treatments? Like ozone treatments. So oh, okay. So ozone gases, literally putting them on an area like a scar or a tooth and just spraying it. It cleans up, cleans up all the information, etc. Can be done by dentists, specialized dentists. Huh. Uh, impact of different hormones. So different hormone therapies and taking certain stuff like testosterone and all that type of stuff he uses. Uh, junk light. Uh, there's lots to do with light as well. He's a fair bit of uh, laser treatments, which he found very helpful especially on his brain. He actually found his concentration increases after laser light treatments on his brain. Again, a lot of these things are not, are not like well vetted and researched. And he does mention this in his books and blog posts that he's the guinea pig, let him do it. Um, but at the same time, he also is pretty good at testing these things out. And he also puts a note in most of them and have since invested in these companies, or I'm on the board of, as an advisor, etc. So he's yeah. testing these things out very early. So these could be um, the next big things for people trying to live longer. And oh yeah, the drugs, the amount of drugs this guy goes through. There, there was one part he talks about how in the early days of trying these things out, he ordered a batch of basically safe steroids from Russia. Um, yeah. They came in like a little doggy bag. Um, he's never injected himself before. So he had to learn how to do that but before YouTube existed. So yeah, just, just 
found out how to do it, started injecting random Russian steroids into his leg. Okay. He's, he's not dead. Yeah, he's not dead. He's, he's done quite well for himself. And yeah, I'm not that type of chap who would happily inject myself. I don't think you are either. Uh, so that's over to everybody else. If you want to experiment with that stuff, I wouldn't recommend it, but up to you. Uh, but Dave is the type of guy who has tested all for us. He's going strong at 47, looking fit, young. Hopes to do that for another 133 years. Right. I feel like a picture should go up at this point. Um, I haven't seen it, but um, I'm just, you know, I'm hoping he's, you know, he's been helpful. He's just like, <laughs> you've got to put a picture up and it's this guy. It looks like he's 87 already. Uh, I'm not sure this is the right one. Yeah. I'm nearly going. You don't have to. <laughs> it's weird. He kind of looks like Nicolas Cage a bit. Oh, okay. Nicholas Cage is like, I don't know, like 60 maybe? I think I think Nicholas mm. Cage is like 60. But he looks like a young Nicholas Cage in his like day. Okay. I'm looking forward to seeing this picture. <laughs> cool. That's that's all I have. So hopefully there's some tips in there that have been useful. I mean, the sleep ones, I would assume, would be useful for yourself, perhaps. I've already installed the app, uh, so I'll give it a try in a bit. Um, other than that, I'm feeling like I've got more aches and pains than I had before I started this podcast. Um, uh, but no, yes, yeah, very good, very informative. Um, I think a lot of stuff I probably kind of know. It's just, it's just having the, um, the what's the word of discipline to uh, to actually to do those things to actually stick with them, which is mm. kind of hard, especially when you can't see it. But again, if we could if we could get more visibility on that, I think it would be a lot easier. You know, if I can imagine waking up to a a screen in the morning and it's live measured some stuff because I was sleeping last night and I look up and go, oh, I'm definitely going to need to do a walk today because look at that. You know I mean? That, that's the sort of thing that people need so that they can see what's going on inside them. I completely agree. And those companies you listed in the beginning as genomics companies who are heavily in this area, I mean, it could be one of those guys. So yeah, check them out. That's why we've invested in them. Um, right. Well, thank you very much. Um, Remember to think, educate, and act, and we will catch you all next week. Take care. Bye-bye.